0: don't talk about getting older talk about living longer you know get rid of the self-imposed ageism be person appropriate not age appropriate and really go out and have some you know some great time in your life because at this point in, in in time you know who you are and you know you know what you're good at and what you're not good at and enhance the good and you know throw out the bad and like live it up
1: I'm Todd Harrington, and you're listening to the Grey Matters Podcast. Along with my co host Tony Hoyland, each episode explores a special guest's lifelong passion. There'll be a bit of nostalgia, but mostly it's our guest's personal story of how they discovered their passion and how it evolved over the years. Welcome to the Grey Matters Podcast. Our guest today is Michael Clinton, a 40-plus year veteran of the publishing business and former president and publishing director of Hirsch Magazines. Some highlights of Michael's career in publishing have been helping launch O, the Oprah Magazine, Food Network, and HGTV Magazine. Outside of his professional career, Michael has done so much, he's run seven marathons on seven continents. He's a photographer, he's an author, an avid traveler, and a private pilot. And in the fall of 2021, he published his book, Roar, into the second half of your life before it's too late. Roar is a bestseller already and is in its third printing. I'll let Michael tell you more. So without further ado, Michael Clinton. Hello, Michael.
0: John, thank you. Sir. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah. Before we get going, Michael, you'll hear
1: another voice uh, on this call, a talented musician, a professional voiceover, and a man who has already begun singing his way into the second half of his life, <laughs> my co-host, Tony Euler. <laughs> oh, my God. Hey, Michael, so how are you? Nice okay, to Tony,
0: you. I'm ready. <laughs>
1: Excellent. I'm not. <laughs> There's so much. I read your book, amazing book. There's so much to talk about today. I want to do a brief overview of, of your career and your life. I was really fascinated with your upbringing. I mean, we know what you did, and you can talk a bit about being uh, publishing uh, president and publishing director at Hearst Magazine and now you're writing for Men's Health and Esquire. But also, I was intrigued uh, by the inspiration from your, your family. And, and, and can you go back a bit in Pittsburgh sure. and, and your mom's story? of uh, I love her story about her getting into the travel business. Just yeah. a little bit that got you going on the right path, if you yeah, will. Yeah,
0: you know, it's, very, it's been very interesting. You know, I have had a great, successful uh, career in publishing, as you, as you mentioned, and living the New York life, if you will. But, you know, I really came from a working-class family, you know, poor working-class family uh, in Pittsburgh. My dad was a laborer. My mother was a housewife. You know, no one in the family history had gone to college. I'm the first one to go to college. Wow! Um, and so it was, you know, kind of bleak, if you will, as you try to find your way in the world. So, you know, I went off to school, and I came to New York with $60 in my pocket and no contacts and... um Just a lot of young ambition um, and found my way. And I think that that was, um, you know, you mentioned my mother, you know, one of the inspirations, uh, my parents, you know, ultimately found their way to new second halves. My mother found her way when my brother and I sent them to Europe for the first time for two weeks when she was in her late 40s. And she was so inspired that she came back and went to a local travel agency and said, I'll work for free for six months. And if I do a good job, will you hire me? And the PS to that is, she became a travel agent for 25 years, and traveled. is oh fantastic. The world. Yeah, so that's great. Well, all that's it takes right. a little creativity.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and so you and wait, tell tell the folks where you went to college. So, so I, I went is uh, across
0: town to University of Pittsburgh. I studied economics okay. and political science, and um, I was uh, got interested in the publishing world. I was the uh, publisher of the university newspaper. And as I started thinking about it, you know, publishing happens in New York City and I wanted to be where it happened. So I um, got in the car and drove to New York.
1: That's great. You just hopped in the car. You didn't know anybody. I love it. Yeah. Just going, just going. Um, so there's so much, you, you, I, like I said, I've read your book. There's so, Roar is doing so well and it's so inspirational. And this, I found myself, thank God I own this book because I'm highlighting all over it and everything. And one thing I'll say up front is I, I really like how it, the format of it, Michael, yeah. because. The roar tips and the takeaways. I mean, you—it's really you can grab a lot of stuff out of there. A lot of great quotes. Thank you. Um, but uh, you know, and I have to open up because one of my favorite movies you you quote is uh, the Shawshank Redemption like, with yeah. Andy Dufresne. Mm-hmm. Says, "Get busy living or get busy dying." I mean, that pretty much covers what you're you're trying to get at in the book. Uh, I, I'd say I, I love that that part of the movie. So that's really inspirational.
0: Yeah, you know, I think the. Um the script that we've all been, been written is that when you get into your 60s and, and or I would say the second half, you know, it's all about the wind down. And mm-hmm. as you know, the whole focus on this book is about the wind up. Uh, right. You know, if you're 60 and healthy, you're going to live another 30 years, hopefully. And all of a sudden yeah. there's this realization that playing golf for 30 years or whatever isn't sustainable. And you've got to have, op- you, you have an opportunity to have a whole new exciting Second career, new lifestyle, launch a business, you know, all sorts of options. And the 40 people that I interviewed in this book um, are all walking examples of people who did it. Right. Well, I love that. I mean, it, it has
1: begun to bother me, the word retire. And mm-hmm. I love how you address that. <laughs> and, and not just in the book and articles, like it, it really doesn't. The conventional way, as you say, that we looked at the way you work for the span of years, you retire, or go play golf, the word retire first. Some people can't afford to retire, right. but others it just doesn't have the same. It doesn't resonate the same way. What does that mean,
0: retire? Yeah, I think you know it's become a toxic word in today's world. I mean, it was created in the '30s, you know, when the life expectancy was 62. You basically True. worked and then you quote retired, and then you were gone, um, right? Literally, I mean, literally gone, right? Boom, boom, yeah, boom. 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 God, it was check, like check it that was one a off fast track, right? <laughs> and so you know we're. In the book, we replace the word retire with rewire or refire.
1: There you, you go. All That's these,
0: good. Yeah. I mean, all these amazing people who are in their, you know, um, you know, 50s, 60s, who've got, who've got energy and curiosity and they're fit and they're tech savvy. And they're like, wait a minute. You know, wait a minute. I yeah. got a whole yeah. I got a whole bunch of stuff I want to do.
1: And do you think, it, there's some great words I'll bring up at you, some theories in the book, but on that note, do you think... Is and you reference it a bit in the book the whole ageism thing. Yep. I mean, uh, it, it, it's it, it's in a transition for sure. I mean, do you feel that more and more people are able to do second careers, even if it's going to a company, and and are are you think they're more receptive now, uh, companies for people to start over, or it's really difficult?
0: You know, I've i designated this uh, this term the reimagineers. You know, that's the word. Yeah, I, yeah, they're, yeah they're the yeah. ones who are really the role models, not just for their own generation, but for the generations behind us. And um, I think companies are getting very hip to it. I just my my most recent piece in Esquire is called The Great Resignation Whiplash. And, yeah. you know, it talks about how tapping into the experience, wisdom, and knowledge of the their their seasoned workers is in, in new ways and new models is going to be really relevant. And progressive companies are starting to do that. But, you know, in, my, in the newsletter that I do every month, which people can access at roarbymichaelclinton.com, in this month's newsletter, I have a story of a woman who is 56. She was a dermatologist, and she decided to go to veterinary school, which, you know, ain't easy. And Wait, at 56? At 56. 50, she, at she 56 went, oh, my God. And she's wow. halfway through, and her goal is to become an activist veterinarian. And she said, I'll start that at 60. And I may do it for 20 years, and that's okay. True. That's okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that the, the ageism piece, it's certainly in the culture, but more importantly, it's self-imposed by so many. You know, true. I can't do this or I can't do that because I'm, you know, pick a number.
1: Right. Yeah, that's true. I mean, and before we go on, I think it's helpful for Roar for you to tell the folks listening uh, the, the acronym, what it all stands for. Yeah, thanks. Like,
0: thanks. Uh, um, you know, it's a it's – a, I wanted the book to be simple – and easy to follow. I wanted it to just be informative, educational. I didn't want it to be homework <laughs> because, yeah. you know, that's- It was so nice you know, to not get that test right, at the end right. of every you chapter. Right, you know, I wanted right. it to be a good read. And so we broke it down into four parts, R-O-A-R. The R is the, the reimagination process and how we fight our self-imposed ageism and how we conceptualize our favorite future and examples and ways how to do that. The O is the you know own your stuff number, you know I like to um, say forget midlife crisis, let's call it midlife awakening, because now you've lived twenty five years and you know a lot about yourself, but Mm -hmm. you got to own your health numbers, you got to own your financial numbers, et cetera, you got to own your age. You know I hate sixties and new forty, you know sixties and new sixty in my book. Um, So (laughs) own your stuff. The A is the action plan, so it's chock full of. ways you can move forward and do do new things. And my favorite chapter in the book is one on life layering, which we can talk about here once. That's right, yeah. And then the final yeah. R is the reassessment of your relationships. Start with yourself, that ageism thing, people around you, that cranky partner, husband, wife, who's like, you know, why do you want to do this? Why do you want to do that? You know, I'm happy sitting at home. You've got to manage that in a way that gets you to the kinds of things you want to do. And so that reassessment. So the, the four parts each have a couple of three chapters to them. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, as as many have said to me, it's a great combination of inspiration combined with, you know, actionable, uh, practical tips.
1: If you're around negative people who are saying, oh, what are you doing? You're crazy, then it's harder to get going, if Absolutely. you will. Absolutely. So you do have to reassess your relationships seriously, uh-huh. who you're hanging out That's with. That's why you, you and I are good together, Todd. Yeah. Yeah, actually, we work crazy <laughs> Yeah, <together>. reinforce <laughs> yeah. each other. Exactly, but uh, and you you and I think well I, a couple of things that popped in my head when you were saying that is that there is that the 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 inspiration in the book is so clear but there is that that hump that people have to get over that's really hard to kind of I guess it's part of its own who you are but it's also take an inventory I think you wrote one of the the tips of like the good the bad the ugly and really the motivation to say you know what I, I love what he's writing but I'm just I don't know if I got it in me. I got a coach. so it, it it can be hard for a lot of people. a lot of it, Michael has to do with just their their situation financially and stuff. how how do you address uh, that when someone wants to uh-uh. roar, but they're bound by it? just obligations or responsibilities. It's very hard. you
0: know it's a great it's a great point. and you know one of the areas in the book that we talk about is this notion of lifelong learning. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, gee, I would love to learn something new or get a new certificate or a degree, but I don't have the money. Uh, It's amazing how much money there is out there if you really do your homework. One of the women I interviewed was um, decided in her 50s that she wanted to go to med school, which is not an easy path either. (laughs) She ended up finding resources. The entire process was paid for by wow. um, scholarships that she, she researched. She started with something called Scholarship OWL. But, mm-hmm. you know, in many states, if you're 60, you can go to university for free. There are all kinds of certificates that you can take that are free on something called MOOCs, Massive Open Online Courses. So, you know, you just have to be you know, a bit ingenious and, and creative about how you go about it. The other thing I hear, you know, on this front is, well, I want to get fit and I want to, you know, take care of my health, but, you know, I'm 60 and maybe it's too late. Well, you know, I watched the first 100-year-old man cross the finish line of a marathon, and Jeez. he ran his first marathon when he was 82. So, oh, wow. that's great. Yeah. so, I that's mean, so you don't cool. Have, so there's hope for Tony I You, mean, you, <laughs> don't, you <laughs> don't have okay. to be a marathon runner, but, you okay. know, once again, get a program, you know, get some kind of program to get to get fit. And to lose weight and get your health metrics in good shape. And you you said something earlier, which is true. It it is hard work. I mean, everybody I talked to, I would say, spent a good year really getting into themselves to figure out what it is that they wanted to do to pivot. And by the way, it was not them as partner or parent or employee it was really what they wanted for themselves individually. And that was a very profound and different twist on this um, because we are, resp- we are all responsible ultimately for our own satisfaction and well-being.
1: Well, you actually, you said something because we interviewed a guest the other day, but like people are talking, you spend months if not years talking to talk and the talk, but walking the walk and actually doing what you're talking yeah. about, making that change. And that's, can be overwhelming, a lot of effort, as you indicate. It's like you can talk about it for years and years and years, but you it does take some work to get going. You can't just say, wish it and wake up and it's all handed
0: to you. There's work involved. Yeah, yeah. That's part of the um, owning it because, you know, I have a couple of anecdotes in, in the book. One is I have a friend who said, oh, I'm going to run a half marathon. I'm going to run a half. Marathon. Well, this guy never ran. You know, yeah. he just talked about it. Or yeah. another one, a woman who said, I want to write a book. I want to write a book. And like five years in, I said, What are you have you are you writing that book? And she looked at me like, Well, you know, I called her on it. And I said, Listen, you know, either you're going to figure out, you're going to sit down and start the process, or else stop talking about it and move on. Yeah. Sometimes we talk about things and say, Well, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And that gives us a little bit of sense of, of you know, satisfaction. But when you step away and you really look at it, you ain't gonna do it, so stop think. talking about it. Hey, Michael, I've it's got like a question. Just, I'm just yep.
1: curious. What inspired the book? Were you writing articles on this this uh-huh. um, subject already? I mean, what what made you go out and get and, and interview these people?
0: Yeah, thanks. It's a great question, Tony. Um, you know, I when I was getting ready to step out of the day to day, you know, after a 42 year publishing career, uh, I started looking around and just sort of reading things and seeing what people are up to, and everything that um, I read was about winding down, and I got really pissed because I was like, "Wait a minute! Where are the people that are like-minded like me that want to do new things?" I mean, for example, I went back to school and got a got a second master's degree at Columbia University while um, <laughs> not too as, shabby. Yeah, right. Shabby. Exactly. Because <laughs> just for really the yeah, uh, on the side. Because <laughs> I wanted to, I wanted to, I wanted to learn about this new area, which was nonprofit philanthropy, and. You know, taking yeah. tests and um, writing papers was a little bit of a jolt in the beginning. But, you know, I was like, where are the people, like, you know, that that, that I want to associate with who have similar thoughts, who want to do stuff like this? So, finally, I said, you know, I don't see that anywhere, so I think I'll take this on as a as an idea. And the more I scratched, and the more I dug, and the more I saw what was going on in in the country, you know, there are... 10,000 people a day turning 65, you know, in 2030, in 2030, one in five Americans will be 65 plus, you know, they are, as a a group, and there's still, as you said earlier, there's a lot of inequities, but they have an enormous amount of uh, spending power and asset base, and they have a lot of capability to do a lot of things if they choose to. So I wanted to put a spotlight on that phenomenon.
1: Well, it's good to know the gray matters uh, audience will keep growing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. because uh, Well, yeah, li- l- well, l-
0: listen to this. There are there are currently ninety thousand centenarians in the country, and wow. there will be there will be six hundred thousand by the year twenty sixty, and by wow. twenty one hundred there'll be three million people or more that will be a hundred or older. So living okay. to a hundred is going to be normalized. You know, in we may get there, but in the next generations, there will be. You know, a hundred is going to be like, well, okay, I could, I could live to be a hundred. Uh, wow.
1: I'll do that career when I'm ninety-four. Yeah, right, right. exactly. Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, in fact, Stanford, Stanford University just put out a new a paper. People can Google it. It's called "The New Map of Life." The one hundred year life is here. And wow. it really talks about how this phenomena is gaining steam and is going to continue to grow. So, many of your listeners may, in fact, live to be a hundred. Listen, one of my favorite stories that I heard heard and I put it in the book was a couple. I'm forgetting the exact age, but let's call him a hundred and five, and she's a hundred, and they're a new oh. couple. They're <laughs> dating, I right? Love it. And she—they're on their nineteenth right? marriage. And I'm she kidding. said, yeah. Yeah. "I basically wake up in the morning and see if he's still breathing, and then I know we have a good—we're gonna have a good day. That's <laughs> awesome. A long live romance! I love it. I mean,
1: that's, that's the key that to is life, awesome. right? Well, yeah. life layering—that kept popping out of me. You want to go into that for the yeah, the no, listeners thanks. A little more? That's my
0: favorite thing to talk about. You know, um, you know, when I was thirty-nine years old, I had a great, you know, personal family life, and I was had a great job. I was the publisher at GQ, very cool job, right? But Mm -hmm. I was uh, saying to myself, I'm the most boring person I know
1: because (laughs)
0: all I was doing was working. And I think a lot of us get stuck in that, you know, work home, work home, work home. And um, a lot of people define themselves by their seat. And let's face it, unless you have your name on the door, you know, at some point that seat's going to go away. And as you know, a lot of people who have big senior jobs they lose their identity and they get depressed and they get lost and don't know what to do. So when I was 39, I decided I had an early epiphany on this. So I created, I had this idea, I always have an adventure gene in me. So I i decided when I turned 40, I went to climb Kilimanjaro in Africa with some friends and I took a race car driving class and I took a flying lesson. And I ultimately became a pilot. But more importantly, I I declared that my 40s were going to be my adventure years. So I created over time, um, starting in my 40s, all of these various adventures. We have an adventure travel group that does one thing a year. So flash forward 25 plus years, you know, I've got this big, fat, rich layer of adventure um, from hiking in Bhutan to, to, you know, climbing mountains in different parts of the world and running marathons in Mongolia and so forth. So, you know, and so each in each period of my life, I had, I put multiple layers onto my persona. So when I stepped out of my publishing seat, rather than say, who in the heck am I? I was able to say, well, you know, I'm an adventure traveler. I'm a marathoner. I'm a philanthropist. I'm a student. I'm a writer. I'm a this, I'm a that, I'm a this, I'm a that. And, you know, it's really a great way to build different um, layers to your life so that that you don't get lost when you step out of that big that big career. Or forget big career. It just could be that that day job that you had that you you know, put all of your identity into.
1: Am I dare say is it a new version of Renaissance, man. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe you do it because you do so many different things or uh, or you know, no, I, I, Well, there. what
0: happens is now people, you know, when I talk to people, they're like, holy crow, how do you do all this stuff? And I say, well, wait a yeah, minute. I didn't yeah. start doing it last year. <laughs> You know, Uh, this is a uh, lifelong, you know, kind of thing. So, um, you know, as you build a layer in five, six, seven years, you have a richness that makes you, um, you know, really, first of all, very fulfilled. And, you know, I've been to 124 countries in the world. But as I tell people, you know, I started this when I was first backpacking in Europe at 19 with all my student loan money, by the way.
1: So, you know.
0: And so, I kept building on it. So it's a, you know, 50-year, you know, whatever, 50-year layer. So, so what would you tell the people? Because
1: that's amazing. Then that if, if someone might hear that and go, wow, I'm old. I didn't plan as well as Michael. How do I get started with my adventure or my path or my life layering? Because you started, because I'm an adventure guy, and I'm thinking, oh, God, I hear that. I go, I'm way behind Michael. Oh, I keep thinking. So I got to get going to the places on my bucket list. So how do you, how do you? tell people that maybe at 60 or even 70, you can start this life layering. That just may be, yep. I don't know, a different process. But, yeah. I mean,
0: if you're 60 and you're healthy and you're going to live to be 90, there you go right there. You have 30 yeah. years to yeah. build it, but you have to True. identify what's the it. And right. this comes up a lot. And one of the things that I like to say is go back to your younger self. <clears throat> what did you leave on the shelf that was always mm, of interest to you, but you sort of left it there and... There's some great examples in the book of people who did that and, you know, built out, literally built out a new layer at 60. A woman who started writing novels um, in her late 50s, had a lot of rejections, finally got a hit, uh, finally got a, a contract and published one. She's now published six. She's 66 and she's a novelist and she went back to her younger desire to be a mystery writer. Um so there are lots of examples in, in the book. But I say go back to your younger self. The other thing is um ask your your friends and family to um tell you what they think you're good at. You know. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. sometimes, you know, that can be through words, sometimes it can be through um, you know, you're really good at XYZ, and then really reflect on that and say, How can I turn that into something? That is, you know, if you if someone says you're really creative, you're really creative in a certain area. Okay, how do I tap into that? Or right. um, so there there are a few tips and tools, and those are ways, some things to to go go about doing it.
1: Well, you know, you just hope to God they don't go silent when you do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I go, you wait, it gets nice <laughs> clear in right. your throats, right? right. You are about to say a lot, right? right. right now. So um, that's really interesting. That's helpful because that is something that I feel comes up as I'm, I'm 62. That you're like, okay, I have. I mean, my whole thing is Tony's heard me say a bazillion times is all I want to do is travel and see the places I haven't seen. But in your book, I you go, okay, choose one a year or whatever. And I truly, you're right. I could just start planning that systematically yep. over the next two, you know, maybe three decades yep. and just get through yeah, it.
0: And I think a lot of people say, well, you know, I don't have anyone to do it with, or well, you know, there's always an excuse. But the right. fact is, is, you know, you gotta tell that husband or wife or partner, listen, this is important to me and uh, ultimately you go off and do it with friends, um, you know, or 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 people that you know who wanna do it as well. And yeah, if you do if you do one a year just with it, whatever your focus is, um, you can start amassing some pretty some pretty neat experiences.
1: And speaking of traveling, you we we Tony and I were talking before. You've done marathons, what, on seven continents? So it's like, what the heck is that? So, you know, it's an
0: interesting, this gets back to um, breaking through the barriers. I ran marathons when I was in my 20s, and then I was kind of like, okay, did that. That was kind of fun. And I would run a 10K here and there or whatever. When I was 50, uh, 54, 55, my sister emailed me and said, would you run a marathon with me? And I said, well, when did you start running? And she said, Tomorrow. And I was <laughs> oh like, my god. I, could, I, I got one more in me. I said, I got one more in me. So I decided at 54, I think I was to start training for a marathon. I hadn't run one in 30 years ish, oh 25, 30 years. I can't remember the number, but we went, decided to go to London because it was her birthday week. And so a group of us went over and she and I ran the marathon and we were at a party, a Runner's World magazine party. We, ap- we actually own Runner's World in the UK. We own it in the US now as well, but we didn't at the time. And I met a guy who'd run seven marathons on seven continents. And I said, that is a cool idea. <laughs> I'm like, I, I got to think about this. Well, one thing led to another. And um, before you know it, once a year, we did a run. We did one twice in one year. But when I turned 60... I went to Antarctica and ran my seventh continent um, and got the moniker of seven on seven, of which there are less less than a thousand people in the world who've done it. And I thought, okay, that, you know, running a marathon (laughs) in Antarctica when you're 60 makes the statement that 60 is the new 60.
1: Um, One thing that, uh, you know, about running, I think you, you, you touched on it a little bit, but there's been a lot of back and forth on, and you said you wrote an article about it, the, the the backlash, the Great Resignation. You could you dig in a little more to that? Because I hear a lot of different views. I mean, is it really happening? Tony had a good point. Is it really, you know, is it white-collar jobs? the right. re- Great Resignation? Is it, you know, people uh, working in the factories? What How you view the whole Great Resignation? Is it a, going away, or as you say, the backlash as well? Yeah, well,
0: first of all, when you really dig under the numbers, you know, for the people who were in their... Um, earning years, you know, the numbers were like down 1%, down 2%. You know, people Eh. need to make a living. People need to, you know, earn money to pay for life. Uh, It's true that the 65 plus cohort, you know, the numbers are much bigger. Some of those people would have um, left anyway. Some of them left because of the health issues with that group and also their companies either closed or shut down or whatever. But now you're seeing a lot of stories. There was a big one in the New York Times recently in the in the, New, in the Wall Street Journal as well, that all of these people are now saying, I want to get back in in some way. Um, right. You know, right. not necessarily the exact same way, but some of it's out of need, as you mentioned earlier, economic need, and some of it is out of just desire to stay more engaged. And so um, you're seeing this, this great reengagement now. Uh, people trying to say, well, let me come at it in a different way, but I want to be back in in the workforce. One of the things that's really interesting, a stat that I came across, which I mentioned in the article, is that the U.S. um, Bureau of Labor Statistics, the fastest growing cohort of workers across all spectrum in the next decade will be 75 plus. 96% increase in workers in that age group being in the workforce in some way or another it may be hourly wage it may be you know full time but this makes the point about how we're stretching out work and the next generations who are going to live longer than us presumably they're going to have to work longer it's going to, to be a 60 year yeah. work life not a 40 year work life that we that we did so it's all beginning to to gel now, and we're in the early phases of this. Um, but some people working into their 70s is going to not be unusual you know in the next 10, 15 years. Do you think that's mostly because they want to or or because they need to? Yeah, no, it it's a good question. I think many of them have to right. Um, and I think that's also kind of the new reality. And you know, if you're fortunate enough that you have you know a good financial, you know your numbers, and you've built a good financial foundation for yourself, then you may um, you may desire to work, and you may desire to work at something that is, you know, not about the money per se, but maybe it's in the nonprofit area where you're giving more right. knowledge and expertise to a nonprofit, which is much needed. Well,
1: then also going back to the ageism, so I mean. the other than hourly workers, I mean, I feel companies are going to have to get on board with this. You yeah. know, I mean, it's because you don't feel at 70, somebody going to apply for a job at, I don't know, a software company. They go, what? Yeah. No, no, we got a lot of young people well,
0: here. Well, yeah. Well, that, that's beginning. I just spoke at a global conference for a um, executive recruiting uh, group of executive recruiters, and this was exactly the point, that <clears> you don't have to be hiring people for full-time jobs in your in that construct, there are a lot of people. You know, I, I heard a story of someone who was a C suite executive, and he really decided that he wanted to be in the HR group to be a recruiter for professionals who were coming into the co- into the company. And I thought, what a great idea! Sure. I mean, this guy spent 25 years in that company. He knows it inside out. He knows the the characteristics and the culture. He knows the kind of people that that would excel there. And what a great way to retool him, you know, in his mid-sixties to work in in HR versus in his, you know, operating P and L role. And yeah. you know, I think companies are going to start thinking about ways to to bring people in in different projects, different mentoring. You know, this is the first time in history you're going to have five generations working at the same time. So Man. intergenerational projects were the the person who is the more senior is bringing you know different kinds of perspective and and so forth. I mean, I found this in my own graduate school program where I was in the you know a small group of us for over fifty. Most of them were young professionals. You know, I learned from them, but I was able to give them a lot of insights as to the practical world. So, um, <clears throat> so I think that is um, that's definitely new. So new new jobs, new constructs. I mean, I think practical word is the phrase is, is right. I mean, I always still
1: think, I mean, I know there's some specifics of a new job, but you can't really. Wisdom, experience at all. You could feel the difference with a generation when you're talking to someone. It's kind of like the uh, me, the mentoring factor is critical yeah. because as smart as somebody is, is they haven't really, they kind of life life skills are a little off if st- right, right when they're starting out. They need to learn those. It's just part of life. Yeah,
0: yeah. for sure.
1: Um So you mentioned uh, philanthropy and stuff. I I, I see and read about Circle of Generosity. You want to tell a little bit about that? And I think you've been to Poland as well to help with Ukraine. Yeah, thank you. Tell us a little bit about what's going on there. Yeah, a
0: group of us uh, 12 years ago started this um, small foundation called Circle of Generosity, and we grant random acts of kindness to individuals and families in need. So if somebody's really having a hardship, we'll Pay their rent for six months till they get over the hump, or we have with uh, disaster relief. We've helped people literally with Home Depot uh, cards, et cetera. It's a one time grant, we do it anonymously. And um, one of the things we decided to do this year, I wanted to do a humanitarian mission. And through, I have a friend in Poznan, Poland, and he became my sponsor. And I went over there and worked in a Ukrainian refugee center as a volunteer and then met with several NGOs uh, to figure out how we could make some grants. And I'm thrilled to say we we're working with, um, you know, three, four NGOs. Just just yesterday, I got um, – e- we we gave multiple grants. You know, all in, I think we gave about $65,000 out. And wow. Yeah. And one of them emailed me today. They were able to find housing for two separate families who were refugee families Uh, that had nowhere to live. And they were going to be on the street. And so our money helped to get an eight-month rental to help them get on their feet. And you may know that as the Ukrainians are moving into Poland, the Poles are absolutely incredible how they're welcoming them. As they're arriving, they're getting um, identity cards, kind of like our social security number, which allows them to get work in 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 poland and oh my god uh, yeah great. and the unemployment rate in poland is like one percent so there's a lot of yeah, need i bet but they need places to live and they need food and they i mean they, they a lot of these people left with like two suitcases so i mean i saw yeah. it firsthand so i'm really proud that we were able to make some make a difference in our own small way um in poznan which is a a smaller city in the country, you know, a lot of the actions at the border and in Warsaw, but we wanted to sort of go out into the into the country where there's not necessarily a lot of attention being paid. And this city had 40,000 refugees go through. You've had a path. You've been
1: clearly inspirational and you were driven. But what do you feel the biggest changes are from now from when you were 20s when you arrived to who you are now? What's the changes you feel the most about yeah. yourself?
0: Wow, that's a great question. Uh, you know, I am... I'm, um, Enormously grateful that I've been able to have the life that I've had. You know, I'm, I'm, it's, it's almost, you know, I saw my dad is 90, and, you know, we talk about this a lot. And I, you know, how did I get here in a certain way? You know, we all have our individual journey. But I think that when I was young and I was having a lot of doubt and a lot of, you know, I'm not connected. I don't have the right pedigree. I don't have the right this. I don't have the right that. I don't have, you know, a family that's you know can help me along. You know, there were moments of um, you know really tough tough times about could I yeah. build a life, and um, so I think gratitude, the the enormity of the the gratitude has been um, has been been significant. Also, I think as you go through life and you have, we've all had successes and failures. I mean, I could list a lot of my failures. But I think what you do is you lean into your successes and you celebrate them. and you also, that builds your confidence that you can do other things, that you can do um, next chapters, that if you're going to live longer, you have the opportunity to really have an impact in in so many different ways. You just have to have to identify it. So I think it was the it's the awareness that it's a lifelong pursuit to really have impact. And uh, and to have success in how how you define it. Oh,
1: so it's good to hear that because some of the listeners like everything seems has gone well and you have had a great journey, but there's been tough times. Oh as yeah, well, we could obviously. do an hour <laughs> on <of> that. <laughs> you must have been motivated by certain people, like be it like I, I read Nhat Han or Vincent Peel, the
0: power of hey. positive
1: thinking. Who who have you? Who what? How did you get there? You must have studied
0: somebody or read somebody you admire. Yeah, I'm I'm a bit of a self help junkie. That's for sure. I have to go back to my youth and and you know point to my father and my grandmother, my mother's mother, okay. and a high school English teacher, who were the three that sort of sparked me to the possibilities. Um, my, um, I'm definitely a Norman Vincent Peale fan. I'm I'm always up for reading about um, how I can improve in any which way it is, and so. I don't have any particular guru that, you know, I have followed. What what I've done is really spent a lot of time reading the biographies of people and, you know, learning from people who have been successful in their life. And I just don't mean professional success, but, you know, professional in general and understand how how they live their life and try to emulate them and, you know, try to pass that along to my own family. So, um, you know, this is it's it's really more through observing and talking to real life people, uh, yeah. which to me is the best way to do it.
1: Well, I mean, sure your parents would be proud that you are their inspiration in that teacher. If that he's still alive, by the wherever. way, I still communicate. with Oh, I mean, that's that would great. Be, that would yeah, be he's great amazing. To know that, ninety, that another ninety year old. That's incredible. Yep. Um, well, that's good to hear because, as you say, there's a lot of people out there. where Inspirational self help is big, and 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 just to to be honest and raw and talk about your failures is nice because a lot of it is they come on stage or in a book. And it's all about go do it. Right. You know, it's all, but this, it the journey is I've learned if I learned anything it's about the journey is, you, you know, the end result. It's great, but it, it's, it's, it's quite a journey you got to be on. So it's, yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. I mean, I think, yeah. you know, what, what I'm hoping to do now with this message is, <clears throat> you know, I want the, the generations below me to look at people like <laughs> Myself and others, and say that's the. I'm 68, so I'm. I, I like to say 68 is the new 68, right? And uh, I, love you it. Know, I want them to say, "Wow, that's the kind of 68 year old I want to be someday." And I'm kind of like, I found myself as an accidental role model, but you know, I look at 78 year olds and 88 year olds and say that's the kind of 88 year old I want to be. And you know, I think that when we have. A lot of role models that are showing possibilities and potential, and starting new things and doing new things. You might know the name Alan Patrikoff. He's a big um, in- venture guy, and he's eighty-seven. And Jeez. you know, he started a business at eighty-five. And he oh is, a, is a friend, and he's just remarkable. And I'm like, I want to be you someday. Yeah. And so I think creating creating the role models to show people what they can do. Is a really big uh, a big win for 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 all of us, um, and especially for those next generations.
1: That's quite a compliment. To say, I want to be you
0: when yeah. someone says that to you. Yeah. That's, uh...
1: Well, this is, uh, li- listen, so much as your life has been fascinating, it's inspirational, and, and the ups and the downs, all of it. Um, is there any last thoughts you want to leave our listeners with, uh, final words of inspiration for their journey and their passion?
0: You know, we touched on it a bit, but I would say, you know, flip the script. Uh, don't, you're, don't talk about getting older. Talk about living longer you know, get rid of the self-imposed ageism, be person-appropriate, not age-appropriate, and really go out and have some, you know, some great time in your life because at this point in, in in time, you know who you are and you know, you know, what you're good at and what you're not good at and enhance the good and, you know, throw out the bad and, like, live it up.
1: We also, like, I want to add, like, Getting over the fear factor, not to interrupt okay. you, but like the whole fear of that change yep, yep. is a big thing. Yeah, I no, well
0: that's 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 what I mean by sixty eight is a new sixty eight. Like, you know, jump yeah, in head yeah. first and be the one be the one who's going to uh lead others into what may be. You know, one of the things just as a on a closing note, you'll you'll appreciate this. So my plan, if it all works out, because I'm still physically fine, no hip issues, like you know, so to speak. But when I'm I'm 70, my goal is to hike to the Everest base camp and run a marathon down, which is something that is done every May. It's called the Hillary Tensig Marathon. It's a fundraiser. And aside from wanting to do it, because I'm just wired to do this kind of thing, um, you know, I want to say to people, hey, this is what 70 is. You know, this is what you can do at 70. Come on,
1: you know. This has been amazing, Michael. Thank Thanks you. so much uh, thank for figuring this out. And Tony, always a pleasure hearing your voice again. Thanks, dude.
0: Thanks, guys. Bye, uh, bye. Thank it. you. Take Thanks.
1: care. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Gray Matters Podcast. Please rate and review it and be sure to tell your friends, too. For more information about Michael and his book, Roar, go to roarbymichaelclinton.com. And for more information about this podcast, go to the graymatters.org. And please subscribe to the Gray Matters wherever you get your podcast. I'd like to thank my guest, Michael Clinton, my co-host Tony Hoyland, and a special thanks to you, the listener. I'm Todd Harrington. Until next time.